so glad you're here. You could not have picked a better day to come. I'll be honest with you. I'm so excited about the message today because every single one of you, I guarantee you, I don't even know you, but I know that you know who Noah is. Like you don't even necessarily have to be a Christian to know who Noah is, right, with Noah and the ark. And if you're not a Christian, again, you could not have picked a better day to show up today because we are going to start at, with Noah at the very beginning, right? We're gonna, I mean, Noah comes on the scene very early in the Bible, and then we're going to finish with one of the most famous sermons of all time, if not the most famous sermon of all time, from another guy that you probably have heard of. Again, you don't have to be a Christian to know this, but his name is Jesus, and what I'm going to attempt to do for you today is to connect all of the dots between the two and how it applies not just to the Christians in the room, because there's a lot of us, but to the non-Christians in the room and maybe non-Christians in your life. And so we pick up the story of Noah. Noah actually comes on the scene in Genesis chapter 5. That is the first book of the Bible, a few chapters in, just a few pages in. And what, and what is kind of the lineage from Adam and Eve all the way up through Noah. But then we get into chapter 6, and that's the story you know when it comes to Noah. See, God surveys the earth, and he looks around, and he sees the destruction, and he sees the people on the earth, and he sees the violence, and he sees the corruption, and he sees how people have walked away from God, and he decides, hey, the only person we're saving on this whole earth is Noah and Noah's family. This is the ark. This is the flood. Again, you've probably heard this story whether you're a Christian or not. But when I read that story, I look at it and I go, like, just Noah? Like, come on, God. Like, like seriously, God, like, there is no one else on this earth. Like, that is, that's tough, God. That's, that's a lot to, like, to soak in. Like, surely there were other people who knew who God was, right? Like, but I've realized as I've come to study this text that there were definitely people who knew who God was. But they didn't know him the way Noah knew him. See, I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. Noah found favor with God. He was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time. And the story of Noah, if you don't know, the story of Noah is a very clear picture of the saving mercy of God. That in the midst of humanity's rebellion against God, that, there, that God would find a way for you. Now, a small way, but a way. A way found in the way of an ark. But here's the question we need to answer today. Why just Noah? Like, why was Noah the only one that found favor? Because we need to answer this question so that we end up on the boat, right? Like, we don't want to be off the boat when it comes to God and his mercy. Because here's the thing. There were certainly many people in that area who knew who God was. They, they were, there had to have been people who knew who God was, who knew God's rules, who knew the standards, who knew what right from wrong was. But why weren't they considered righteous like Noah was? And we find out actually in the next verse, it says this about Noah, that he walked in close fellowship with God. Some other translations actually say that he walked in agreement with God. I don't want, I don't want you to miss this. I don't, if you write nothing else down, understand this, that there's a big difference between knowing God and walking with God. There's a big difference. As Amos, the prophet, would go on to say a few hundreds of years later, he would say, he would ask this question. He'd say, can two people walk together without first agreeing on where they're going? 
See, like, if you don't agree on where you're going to walk with somebody, there's going to be tension. Inevitably, somebody has to choose where you're going and how you're going to get there. You might have a similar goal, right? Like, you, you're walking with your family. You know where you're going. You're going in a similar direction. But somebody, if you want to truly walk together in agreement with somebody, somebody has to first choose. Otherwise, there's going to be undue tension. I can prove it. How many of you have been on like a date before or like maybe you're walking with a group of people or some other families and you've, you're going out on the town, you've had a good time and it's come, it's come time to say your goodbyes, right? You've had a great time. You've had a few margaritas. It's a wonderful time. And then it's like, hey, we got to go. And you go, oh, okay. And so you, you hug, dare I say, in church, you kiss, good night. And then you realize that all of a sudden, Based on where you parked and based on where they parked, you now have to walk with them for like another like 100 feet. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? There's tension. It's awkward. I don't even know why it's awkward because like two seconds ago, it was not awkward. You were best friends. You were hugging and kissing and reminiscing about the night. But now all you're doing is you're trying to fill this awkward void for the next 100 feet. Why? Because no one decided and communicated where you were going to go and how you were going to get there. And now there's tension. See, so often we, we think we're going in the same direction that God is going, but then we find ourselves disagreeing with God, and we're told to walk in agreement. We find ourselves disagreeing. Do you do that? I don't know if you do this. Like, it's like, God, are you sure? God, like, are you sure you want to flood the whole earth? Like, that, if it were me, God, I don't that's a lot, God. I don't think I would have flooded the whole earth. Like, that's not how I would have done it. Like, or like, God, I know you said this, but like, I don't necessarily like this, or I don't like that, or God, I'm sure, I don't know if you've said this. I'm sure you haven't. You're not me. But like, I'm sure God wouldn't mind if I did this, or I'm sure God wouldn't mind if I did that. Or we start to say like, that's tough, God. Like, I don't know. You probably meant that rule for somebody else. So you probably... That's a lot, God. I don't know if I can really handle Like, you know, I don't, that's not even more than a lot, God. I just don't think that that's right. And I don't want to, and then just fill in the blank. And you walk in disagreement. And what do we do when we get instructions from God if we don't like them? Well, we try to argue our way out of them, don't we? Right? But like, if you're walking in agreement with somebody, it's not about arguing it out. You've already done that. It doesn't matter if it's convenient or not. It's like, Noah, I know I told you to build a boat in the middle of nowhere. I just want you to build a boat in the middle of nowhere. And I know you had plans, Noah. I, I get it. Okay, yes, Noah, they are going to mock you. No, Noah, it doesn't matter. And so the thing is, like, God commanded you to do it. And so either you do it or you don't. You're either in agreement or you're not. What Noah did is Noah took the perspective of whatever God has for me, I'm going to trust him in that. And that difference of perspective saved his life. And it runs in his blood. He has a great-grandfather named Enoch. And we don't get a whole lot of uh, information on Enoch in the pages of the Bible and the pages of history. But what we do get about Enoch is that it says that he walked closely with God. And then towards the end of Enoch's life, I love this, he gets, Enoch gets the greatest gift that I think anybody could ever get. It says that, and I think you'll agree, it says that Enoch was walking with God, and then he wasn't. Not that he, like, he, like, he stopped walking with God, it was, he wasn't on earth anymore, that he walked himself right into heaven. Like, consider the alternative, death. Like, this is so much better. I'm so down for this. Like, God, if you could just, like, I'm so, like, we could walk together, and then I'm not walking here anymore, and I'm walking with you in heaven. This sounds phenomenal. 
just make sure to tell my wife and my kids and my family and my friends here so that they don't like, so I don't end up on like a, you know, missing persons outside of a Walmart bathroom. You know what I'm saying? Like, see guys, there is more to life than just getting into heaven though. We are called to walk in agreement with God. It's more than just a one-time decision. I walked an aisle, I raised my hand. We are to come to agreement with God of where our lives would go and how we are going to get there. Because if we don't align our will with God's will, there will be tension. And you know this to be true whether you like to or not. Like there's tension in this microphone because I'm about to talk about Satan and he knows. Did you know, I don't know if you ever realized this. You ready for this? You know that Satan had the same address that you and I are trying to go to so badly? You ever thought about that? Satan had the same address. He knew who God was. He knew God better than you and I know God. But he could not walk in agreement with God's plan. And it cost him everything. Even, get this, even in the presence of God, Satan was able to rebel and influence others to do the same. Noah said, listen, God, I want to walk with you. I want to walk in agreement with you. It doesn't matter if it's culturally acceptable. It doesn't matter if it's awkward. It doesn't matter if it's fun or not. And as we'll find out in a second, it does not matter if it's easy or not. So let me ask you this. How do you know that you're walking in agreement with God? Besides the obvious, like God commanded me to do it, and so I'm going to do it. I believe that it starts with our excuses, Like, you can generally tell if something's a bad idea, if a direction is a bad idea. If while you're deciding whether you're going to do it or not, you're making up excuses if you get caught. Like, yeah, no, officer, I I know I was speeding, officer, but I really had to get home to make sure that the hair straightener wasn't, I thought I still left it on, right? And like, or no, no, I'm sorry that I I stayed out too late on the curfew. You know, there was, there was probably, there was definitely an accident. Like I was an accident and there was traffic and I, I didn't mean to stay out that long. And here's the thing about excuses though. We don't just make excuses if we get caught from other people. We make excuses for ourselves. Like, I know I'm not supposed to buy that super expensive car. Like, I know I can't afford the payments, but man, I have worked probably somewhat hard, and I deserve this. I deserve this. It doesn't matter if I can make the payments or not, but I deserve this. See, if you're putting up excuses before you ever even do something, you know it's a bad idea. You know you shouldn't do it. But here's the thing. You and I, we are going to stand before God one day, and we're going to give an account of everything we've ever done and everything we haven't done. I'd rather be standing in front of God with a a laundry list of jobs well done than instead of a laundry list of excuses. Like I want to be, I don't know about you, but I want to be found faithful. I want to be found in agreement with where God wanted me to go and what God wanted me to do. And it's what Jesus has been teaching all along. When it comes to the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about this over and over and over again as we finish out the Sermon on the Mount series. That doing that, that walking in agreement with God, might not be what you think. And it's certainly not as easy as you might think it is, and it's not as easy as you might hope it is. So let's get into it. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. We're in in Matthew chapter 7. This is the first book of the New Testament. If you cut your Bible in half... And then you take the second half and you cut that in half. That should land you basically in Matthew chapter 7. I know if you knew that. Fun fact. 
And it's at the end of this most famous sermon, and everything Jesus has talked about up to this point has been very difficult, very mind-blowing. And then he's just going to lay the hammer on him at the very end, a nice right hook, as we would call it in the business. And this is what he says. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only few will find him. Of all the sayings, of all the teachings of Jesus, this is the scariest. This is the most terrifying. Like, they're all hard, right? Like, all the things Jesus lays out in the Sermon on the Mount are, are tough, right? Like, to not judge people? Like, come on, Pastor Paul. I know, you said, like, I know you said not to do it, but like, last week, but like, oh, wait, not hate your enemies? Wait, you want me to pray for my enemies? Whew. Like, it's a lot. It's a lot to be generous, Right? It's a lot to have to fast and pray over every single thing. Like, and you know, I'll be perfectly honest with you and transparent. There are some times in this life that I don't want to be the salt and light of this earth. There just is. Even though Jesus commanded us to do it. So they're tough. They're a lot. And wait, now Jesus, you're going to finish off and tell me that not everybody's going to get it? Not everybody's going to make it? That most are going to miss out? That small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life? And only a few, like, that's not tough, God. That's really unpleasant. Only a few are going to make it to heaven. Jesus goes, yes, now you're getting it. You're like, why? And Jesus is like, well, we'll cover that in a little bit. But here's the thing. What's so interesting is that term life, it's not just a reference to eternal life. Don't miss this. It's not just a reference to heaven. It's used many times throughout the New Testament. It's actually a reference that Jesus is going to make time and time again, and he uses it in one of my favorite verses of all time in John 10.10. Look at this up on the screen. It says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I come, Jesus says, so that you may have life and have it to the full. Other translations will say that, like, have an abundant life or have a rich and satisfying life. Now, here's the thing, though. I don't think anybody in this room, I don't think anybody at all has ever set out and said, you know what? I don't think I want to have a rich and abundant life. I don't think I want to have a satisfying life. But Jesus says, listen, if you want to have a rich, I mean, just fulfilled, abundant life, it's not just about getting to heaven. But it's also not found in these worldly things that you've been chasing. It's not found in more stuff. It's not found in more promotions. It's not found in more cars. It's not found in more houses. It's not found in any fake fulfillment in the lies that you have told yourself that are going to satisfy yourself. Those things, Jesus says, are from the thief. What thief? What did the thief do? Well, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And who's the thief? Well, it's the guy that had the same address that you and I are trying to get to so bad. The thief is Satan. And Jesus says, no, 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 listen, listen, listen. He brings him in close. He says, I've come so that you can have the life that God has set in front of you. I didn't come to take your life away to judge you. No, I, I come so that you may have an abundant life. But in order to have that life, it requires that you walk in agreement with God. What's even cooler as if you take the context of John 10.10 10, and you go up a few scriptures and maybe down one, what he's doing is Jesus is actually talking to the religious elite. You don't think of it this way, but you and I would be considered religious elite, the fact that we get to worship together. And he's talking, basically what he says is, you've been caught up, religious elite, in the, in the lies of this world. You've actually been caught up, not in the lies necessarily of this world, but you've been caught up in the lies of big religion. And you think 
you can save yourself. You think you can do it. Understand this, though. Don't miss this. They knew God. They knew who God was. But they weren't willing to walk in agreement. And because of that, they missed out on the abundant life. And when Jesus talks with a little bit more context, he actually uses a really cool word picture that I think, even though we're not like first century farmers and shepherds, I think you'll understand what he means in this. So look at this. We're going to put it up on the screen. It says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold, that is, gets into the sheep pen, rather than going through the gate, you must surely be a thief and a robber. There's some verbiage there that should sound really familiar. You got a thief, you got a robber, you got a gate. We're moving. Jesus continues. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for the sheep, and the sheep go through the gate, or the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. God calls each and every one of us to walk in agreement with him, just like Noah. It's not easy. It's not convenient. It's narrow, but it's the best. But what's even better, because look at what happens when you walk in agreement with Jesus as he continues. He says, after he has gathered his own flock, he walks with them? No. He walks ahead of them. And they follow him because they know his voice. And they won't follow the stranger, the thief or the robber that hopped in in the way they shouldn't. No, he's not going to follow them because they will run from him because they don't know his voice. Jesus says, I love you so much that when, you, when you're with me, when you're on Team Jesus, I'm going to walk out before you. I'm going to lead you to the best places. I'm going to lead you to the best pastures. I'm going to lead you to the most delicious grass you have ever seen in your life. But I can't lead you if you aren't willing to follow. And I can't lead you if you don't know my voice. I can't lead you if you aren't willing to walk in agreement with where I am leading you to go. But he continues. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to him like this. I tell you the truth. Again, notice he, I'm sure Jesus didn't like repeating himself just like you don't like repeating yourself. He says, I tell you the truth. And it's the religious elite, right? That's who he's talking to. They don't get it, right? They think they can do their best life without anybody. They think they hold the keys to heaven. So Jesus sets us, I mean, sets them, of course, uh, straight. And he says, listen, I am the gate. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come through me will be saved. That's the eternal life part. But remember, it's not all of it. It says, the thief's purpose, here's our verse, is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose, Jesus says, is to give, you, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Not only an eternal life, but here on earth, a life that way that God desired to be, a life that is best for you, because what's best for you is more of him. If it's not, whatever that other thing is that's best for you, we should be worshiping that instead. What happens is your life, when you walk in agreement with God, your life becomes satisfying in ways that you couldn't even fathom. And I'm not talking, don't mess this up. I'm not talking about prosperity gospel. This isn't like, hey, like, you know what? If I, uh, if I follow Jesus, I'm going to win the lottery. Like, I'm super excited about that. No, 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 no. That's not how this works. What happens is you start to walk in a way that is pleasing to your creator. And that's huge. But I want to take it one step further. I want to go one more verse because I think it's worth it. And I think you'll like it. Jesus says this. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, he says. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the 
sheep. It's the very same thing he did for us on Easter. That when we put our trust in Jesus, though, it's not just a ticket to heaven. We're agreeing with him that he is our provider, that he is our protector. He's going to go out in front of us, and he is our sustainer. But we won't see the benefits of a life with Jesus if we're trying to hop in and out of the pen with the thief. you got to walk in agreement. It's that simple. So what do, you, what do you do? Better yet, how do you know? How do you know if you're walking in agreement? It's a question we've been asking all day because it's still important. So here's the thing. If it starts with excuses, then it ends with honesty. See, follow me here. When you don't engage with God honestly, what you're doing is you're trying to hide yourself. Shame starts to creep in. This is Adam and Eve in the garden. Remember I said we were going to talk about him? Right? What we're doing is we start to hide ourselves. You might not even do it intentionally, but you hide yourself from the power and the presence of God. But if you're hiding yourself from the power and the presence of God, then you by default logically cannot be in agreement with the power and the presence of God. What we're doing is we're trying to jump in and out of the sheep pen without actually going through the gate. Like, like you and I, we think like we can sneak in, like, like God's not going to notice all that I've done. Come on. If we're being honest with God, God already knows what we're trying to hide from him. Like we, we hide from him like, it, like it's a kid hiding from their parent because they know they did something wrong. God has already paid the price for your sins. Does he need to die on a cross again for you? Like, is that what it's going to take? He says, listen, experiencing life, experiencing the abundant life that I have put out in front of you is different than just filling your life with things that you think are going to fulfill you. Matter of fact, those two things rarely coexist. So let me ask you a question as we close. What in your life right now is keeping you from abundant life? What is bringing you, what, what is it in your life? What, what, maybe it's financially, maybe it's relationally, maybe it's just the way your habits, I don't know what it is for you. I, I, I know what it is for me, but what is it for you that is instead taking, instead of going down the narrow path that Jesus says, this is where you want to go, you're going down the easy path, the broad path, the way, that, the way that is easier just to make up excuses if you get caught or if you get asked, right? Maybe it's something that you know you shouldn't be doing, or maybe worse yet, it's something that you know you should be doing and you're not. Right? You already have the excuses ready if somebody asks you to join a small group. You already have the excuses ready if somebody asks you to join a, a, a team. You already have the excuses ready if your kid asks you to spend more time with them instead of working. You already have the excuse ready of why you look at this TV screen or your phone screen instead of spending time with your family that's in desperate need of a father, desperate need of a mother that's present. What is it in your life right now that is holding you back from what God has put in front of you? That's leading you to a place of destruction. That's leading you to a place that you never intended to go. Let me ask you like this. What in your life is easier to hide and make up excuses to yourself for than to actually face? What is easier to hide from God than to step up What is causing you to miss out? Be honest with yourself. Tell the truth to yourself. But understand this. Truth, by definition, is narrow. Truth is restrictive. It has to be. 
Because truth is the boundaries that you and I use to know what is and what isn't. The gate is not narrow out of spite. It's God's truth. And that truth, you might say, oh, man, you're already making up excuses, right? Oh, that truth is really hard, though. No, no, it's not. It's ridiculously hard. Eating the wrong fruit off the wrong tree, kicked out of the garden, that's tough. That's a lot. Noah, only one family, one person in one family with one gate on one ark. Everybody else, good luck, Godspeed, no pun intended. That's tough. That's a lot. But those people, when they walked in agreement with God, they experienced a life that they couldn't without. The truth of God, the truth of Jesus up on a cross as the only way, that's really restrictive. But it's that narrow truth that gave Noah the boundaries of the ark and kept him safe from the punishment of God. It's that truth of Jesus up on a cross that protects us from the punishment for messing up. That's the eternal life part. But what about the, the rest of the life part? That, you know, the part we're going through right now part? Well, it's really not truth that bothers us. It's really not truth that's all that hard, if you're being completely honest with yourself. It's understanding or taking the perspective that it's God's truth over my truth. It's objective truth over subjective truth. It's God over all. And what God's truth requires of you is to let go of the lies that you've believed about yourself and believe that the world has taught you. That's what Jesus has been saying all along in the Sermon on the Mount. That his ways are different. His ways are higher. His standards are higher. Well, guess what? His truth is different. His truth is higher. And when we... When we ignore that truth and put our truth over God's truth, what we're actually doing is we're missing out on the mercy. We're missing out on the grace. We're missing out on the love. Don't miss this, though. Not because God is not providing those things. It's not God's fault that we missed out. No, we are hiding from it, and we're choosing our truth over God's truth. What you're actually doing is you're choosing your gospel over Jesus' gospel. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for everything that you have taught us through the Sermon on the Mount. God, I, I pray that as we move into our Sundays and we move into our weeks and we move away from the series, that it would linger with us. That your commandments would linger with us. That what we are supposed to do and how we're supposed to live would, would just rest on us. That we would accept your truth. And know your truth. And walk in agreement with your truth. Because we know, even though we need constant reminder, God, God, remind us. But we know that that truth is better than anything else. In this life and the next. God, I thank you for the hearts of the people here as you've spoken to them today. But I thank you most of all for the truth of your son going to a cross so that we didn't have to. Let us never forget that, God. God, remind us of that daily. I thank you for that. And it's in that precious name, the name of Jesus, that I pray. Amen.
Have a great week. We will see you right back here next week as we start to dive into a brand new series. I hope to see you then.